Good morning, brothers and sisters. It is a joy to be worshiping with you this morning at our 11 o'clock worship service. I hope that you will come prepared, hearts ready to learn. Can you imagine what it would be like for a church to watch their beloved and aged pastor burn at the stake? It happened in the second century when a man by the name of Polycarp was burned at the stake while his congregation watched. Polycarp was a disciple of the Apostle John. And you could tell immediately if you knew Polycarp that he possessed the same tenderness and compassion as his mentor. And he also shared the same love for Jesus Christ that John did. Polycarp was the pastor of the church at Smyrna, which is in present-day Turkey back then, referred to as Asia Minor. Persecution had broken out in Smyrna, and many Christians were fed to the wild beasts in the arena. The godless and bloodthirsty crowd called for the carcass and the body of the leaders of the Christian in Smyrna. They called for the head of Polycarp. The authorities sent a search party to find him. He had been taken into hiding by some in his church. But the Romans tortured two young believers until they finally disclosed his hiding place. When the authorities were arriving, there was still time to whisk Polycarp away to safety. But he refused to run, saying, let God's will be done. In one of the most touching instances of Christian grace imaginable, Polycarp welcomed his captors as if they were his close friends. He talked with them and insisted that they stay for a meal. He made only one request before being taken away. He asked for one hour to pray in solitude. The Roman soldiers sent to arrest him listened to his prayer. So passionate and so convicting was his prayer and his conversation with God that their hearts melted and they gave him two hours to pray. They were convicted by his prayer so much so that, as history, history records, they had second thoughts as well and were overheard asking each other why they had been sent to arrest this man. When Polycarp was brought to higher authorities, the testimony which we, he exemplified impressed those in authority. In fact, the proconsul tried to find a way to release him he told Polycarp, curse God and I will let you go. He pleaded with him to do so. Polycarp's response was, for 86 years I have served him. He has never wronged me, my Lord. How then can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? The proconsul again looked out for another way by which to release him. Then do this, old man, he says, just swear by the spirit of the emperor, and that will be sufficient. Polycarp's reply was, if you imagine for a moment that I would do that, then I think you pretend that you don't know who I am. Hear it clearly, hear it plainly. I am a Christian. I am one who follows Christ. More entreaties by the proconsul, but Polycarp stood firm. Proconsul threatened him with wild beasts. Polycarp's reply was, bring them forth. 
I would change my mind if it meant going from worse to best, but not to change if it is from right to wrong. The proconsul threatened, I will burn you alive. Polycarp's reply was, you threaten with fire that burns for an hour and is over, but the judgment on the ungodly is forever. And so Pastor Polycarp of Smyrna was tied to a stake and burned alive. And those in his congregation who witnessed his execution, martyrdom, noticed that he did so with such great faith and a joy. He was buried for the cause of Christ on February 22 of 155 A.D. What a testimony. What a witness for Jesus Christ. Our generation talks about authenticity. We talk, we talk about being real. You don't get any more authentic than in the life of Polycarp. What does your Christian witness look like, my friends? What does your testimony look like? Do you find joy in it? That's what we want to take a look at this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to encourage you to turn with me to the book of Philippians, chapter 1. We're going to be studying verses 12 to verse 18. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 to verse 18. Again, if you're new to the Bible, the book of Philippians is in the New Testament towards the back. After the book of Ephesians and before the book of Colossians. As you know, we began a new series last week in the book of Philippians entitled Life in Color, Living Joyfully in All Circumstances. We define joy as the assurance of happiness from a Christ-filled life looking through God's perspective. We had mentioned last week that one of the defining marks of the Christian life is joy. So how then do we cultivate this in our lives? We looked last week at the joy that comes from the process of discipleship. And this morning we want to find joy in our Christian witness. In these seven verses, we will look at three aspects of what makes up a Christian witness or a Christian testimony. Look at me at Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 to 13. Paul writes, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Remember that Paul is in prison while he writes this letter to the Philippian Christians. Surprisingly, Paul says that his imprisonment has been good for the propagation of the gospel which is the good news of Jesus Christ. One would think that the imprisonment of Paul, this great apostle, would have stymied the cause of Christ, but it had the opposite effect. You see, there are no accidents with God. God does not make mistakes. God knew that if he allowed Paul to be imprisoned, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, would be advanced how was it advanced? Look what Paul says in verse 13. It has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest. The palace guards were known as the praetorian. The praetorian guards were the elite guards that guarded the Caesars and guarded the VIPs and guarded the VIP prisoners. 
according to Roman history, it was customary for a guard to be chained to him. And with this elite praetorian unit who guarded Paul, for sure, 24-7, Paul would have had a guard chained to him. Talk about a captured audience. There was nothing this guard could do but to listen to Paul, share the gospel, and talk about his life. Talk about his life through Jesus Christ in his words and his action. You know, I can just imagine Paul, as each new guard comes for their rotation, he would turn to them and ask, Do you know Jesus Christ? And invariably they would say no. Paul would tell them, Well, let me tell you about him. We have lots of time. As I thought about it, I felt sorry for these guards. They had to hear Paul all day, but it must have been wonderful. Don't feel sorry for Paul. Feel sorry for these guards. Others came and visited Paul, and whoever came and visited Paul would have heard the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul had nothing to be ashamed about. In fact, he was excited. There was a joy in sharing the gospel. Look what Paul says in verse 13. It has become evident that my chains are in Christ. Everyone who he had come in contact with, every prison guard knew that Paul was not imprisoned for breaking any law. He was imprisoned because he believed in Jesus Christ. What an amazing testimony Paul must have had. I don't know if you know any prison guards. I venture to say you don't. But I had a friend who was a prison guard. He guarded one of the maximum security facilities in the U.S. in Huntsville, Texas, where they executed people. And I asked him, what do they teach you when they train you to be a prison guard? As he told about his training, he said, one of the things that they train us for is that we as prison guards must always remember that these prisoners are guilty. It is ingrained in us that all the prisoners in this jail are guilty because all the prisoners think they're innocent. Why do they have to ingrain them with this thought? Because the guards were to show no compassion for these prisoners, lest they let down their guards and perhaps one prisoner would take advantage of the situation and escape. All prison guards know that their prisoners are guilty or they believe that. But Paul's Christian testimony was such that all the praetorian guards knew that the only reason he was in prison was not because he broke any law, was, was because he stood in a belief for Jesus Christ. That's an amazing testimony. Everyone knew that Paul was innocent. You see, my friends, in a Christian testimony, there must first of all be a witness towards godliness. And if you're taking notes, that's number one. The first aspect of any Christian testimony is that there must be a witness of godliness, a witness of godly behavior. What type of witness are we to be? We are, are to be a witness towards godliness, to show forth 
godly behavior. And it is hard to maintain a Christian witness in the world in which we are part. And yet God has put you into various spheres of influences. In those spheres of influences, do your friends and acquaintances acquaintances know that you are a believer? Do they know that you are a Christian? Do you stand out from amongst the crowd in your godliness, in your Christian witness? Because they're all watching you. And they're seeing how you live out your life. A few months ago, I was in a government office processing some papers. It had come upon lunch break, and some of the government officials, the workers, were taking their lunch break, and uh, I was waiting. And I saw that uh, there was a woman who had taken her lunch and had opened a book. Since I had nothing better to do, I was curious and nosy, and I walked over there and kind of peeked to see what she was reading. She was reading a Bible. I sat down and observed her for a bit. She was really reading intently. It wasn't for a show. So since I had nothing better to do, I came up to her and I asked her, Excuse me, ma'am, can I ask, are you a believer? Are you a, are you a born-again believer? Are you a Christian? She said, yes. How did you know? I said, I'm a pastor, and I have been observing that you're reading intently the Bible. If you have any questions, I'd be more than happy to answer it. She said, you know, pastor, can I tell you something? It's really hard to be a Christian here in this office. I said, I know. I, I, I'm sure it must be difficult for you. But at least you are a witness. You are trying and as I have observed, I'm sure others have observed your Christian witness. Don't give up. I have met her since then when I've had to go to that office to do some work. And every time she sees me, she'll come and ask me, Pastor, would you pray for me? And I'll pray for her in the hallway. And I always ask her, what would you like me to pray for? It's always the same thing. She asked me, Pastor, would you pray that I will be a great testimony for our Lord in this corrupt environment? And I will pray for her in such manner. What an amazing witness. But I ask you, what does your witness look like? Is it a witness of godliness? Is it a witness of godly behavior? And do you find joy in it? Do you enjoy living your life to tell people about Christ by the way you live. What is your witness? There is a Christian missionary in the Philippines for 17 years by the name of Tom Randall. He was arrested and put into prison here in Manila a few days ago. From what I've read and from all indication, he was falsely accused of something he did not do. He had come back to the Philippines to help with some typhoon relief. And he was checking up on some of the orphanage he had helped start. He's a pastor in Ohio. He has served as the chaplain of the Senior Professional Golf Association, the Senior PGA, for the past 15 years. And this morning, he currently sits in prison here in Manila, while faithful men in the highest levels are working to win his quick release. But I love what he has written to his friends. 
He says, don't release me too quickly from prison. There is too much fruit being harvested here. Can you imagine that? Most of us, if falsely accused and put into a a Filipino prison, would be clamoring to get out as fast as we can. But here is a man who is put in, and he wants to stay just a bit longer because God is doing a mighty work through him in prison. What a witness. Do pray for him. What a witness. My friends, do you find joy in having people tell you that you are Christ-like? Has anyone has, has ever told you, you remind me of Christ, you, you, you are living a godly life, you are Christ-like? And here's my question to you. If no one has ever said that of you, why not? Why not? Maybe it's because you aren't living such a great Christian testimony. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the story of Eric Little. His life was made into a movie, 1981 movie, Chariots of Fire, which won an Academy Award for Best Picture. This film tells the true story of this devout Christian whose parents were missionaries. Eric was a sure winner for the gold medal in the 100-meter dash But as Eric looked through the schedule of the 1924 Paris Olympics, he realized that the quarterfinal meet would be held on a Sunday. And so he refused to run in this race. It was the conviction that he had that he should not run on a Sunday. His coach and others who were were men and women of influence tried to convince him otherwise even the Prince of Wales. But he did not change his mind. And he did not run that race. You know, it's great to see someone who is willing to hold their conviction to such high regard, no matter the cost. But you know, as I thought about my life, if I was one of Eric's friends, I probably wouldn't have stood with him. I would have said, hey, Eric, it's one Sunday every four years. Get over it. Eric, lighten up. It's just one race. You can go to church after you run. Hey, Eric, you can go to church before you run. And if you want, Eric, you can go to church before and after you run. Just run the race. Take 10 seconds. But Eric did not run. You see, my friends, your Christian witness is driven by your beliefs and your convictions. And so it begs the question of our generation, do we even have any convictions? Are our convictions up for grabs? Are our beliefs so easily changed? No one remembers who won the 1924 gold medal in the 100-meter dash. But a worldwide generation knows about the testimony of Eric Liddell. Is your witness a godly one? What sort of witness do you have in this world? Look at verse 14 with me. Paul writes, And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul continues and tells the Philippian Christians that his imprisonment has had another effect. 
It has emboldened and encouraged those who have been fearful and reluctant to now testify for Christ. Apparently, because of Paul's situation, we would think that most Christians would have been discouraged that this great apostle was now suffering for Jesus. But it had an opposite effect. In fact, many were encouraged by what God was doing through Paul that they began to spread the gospel. Paul's Christian witness was such that in light of what he was going through, he served as a witness to motivate others to also be a Christian witness. And here in verse 14 lies the second aspect of what is a Christian witness. The second aspect of a Christian witness is that a witness motivates others towards a closer walk with Jesus Christ. The testimony with which we live must motivate others towards a closer walk with Christ to they themselves become a witness. And the question I've got to ask each one of us, including myself, is does my Christian testimony embolden others to proclaim Christ fearlessly and with great regularity? Does the way I live my life challenge others to walk closer to Christ and to be bold and fearless for Him. And if it doesn't, I must ask the question, why not? Why not? I came across five questions that John Sutherland Bonnell, the preacher of a generation ago, asked, which helps us evaluate our effectivity in influencing the lives of others. These are five questions that you can use to judge the strength and weakness of your Christian testimony in relation to how it influences others. The first question that John proposes is this. Does my life witness each day to the power of the risen Christ? Does my life witness each day to the power of the risen Christ? We believe and affirm in a risen Savior. How then do you live? Do you live victoriously? Do you live with hope? Do you live with joy? Do you live as if you acknowledge a risen Savior? Because if you live a victorious life, if you live a life of hope and of joy, Others will see, and they will clamor to desire the same thing and motivate them to be a witness for Christ as well. The second question, does my faith in Christ affect the quality of my daily living so that it adheres to it a nobility and a moral strength? Does my faith in Christ affect the quality of my daily living so that there adheres to it a nobility and a moral strength. The question is asking, how does Christ affect your daily life? Has there been a transformation that Christ is evidenced in your daily walk? Are you more patient? Is your temper subsided? Do you get less angry? Are you more understanding? Are you kinder? Are you more generous? Are you honest? Are you fair? Does your life change every day 
in becoming more like Christ, affecting the quality of your daily life. Because the world is watching. They're watching how you are changing and living out your life every day, even in the mundane. The third question. Is there anything in my life that reminds men and women of the master to whom I've pledged my allegiance? Is there anything in my life that reminds men and women of the master to whom I have pledged my allegiance? How do people know that you are a follower of Christ? What is it about your life? What do you do that reminds other of Christ? Perhaps you think, well, it's, it's, it's very tangible. I wear a t-shirt that says, I love Jesus. I have a bumper sticker on my car that has the name of the church I attend, Grace. But what more? You can't wear your I love Jesus shirt every day. How will they know? How will they know you never tell them? You know, it's easy for me. People ask, what's your occupation? What do you do? I tell them, I'm a pastor. Oh, you must be a Christian. It's easy for me. It's hard for you. What do you do? I'm a lawyer. I'm a doctor. I'm a businessman. I'm a student. Is that it? What is it about your life that reminds them that you are a follower of Christ? You can't tell them, hey, look at my shirt, read, I love Jesus. Can you tell them, when they ask you the question, what do you do? You tell them, I'm an engineer who follows Jesus Christ. I am a doctor who loves Jesus Christ. I'm a businessman who lives under the command of my master and Lord. But would you ever say that? No, because it sounds silly. Who says stuff like that? But then how will they know if you never tell them? Question number four. Is there any discernible difference at all in my life as contrasted with the lives of those who have never acknowledged Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Is there a discernible difference at all in the life lived in Christ as contrasted with those who do not live in Christ? You see, the world is looking for change. They're looking for something different, a discernible difference. But unless you are willing to be transformed and change, then the world will see no difference. You must change in your life. If you do not change your lifestyle, nothing happens. And I'm learning this this week. As you know, I've started a diet. Dieting is hard. I don't even know why I'm on this diet. I feel very fine with myself. Others don't, including my wife. That's why I'm on this diet. But I have to do something. I have to change. What's that change? I have to eat two-thirds less rice. I can only eat a third of the rice I used to eat. And my point to her is, then what's going to soak up all the juice from the adobo? What? That sauce is wasted. So I had a change in my own thinking this week. 
I'll just make the sauce a soup. It is a change. But humor aside, you have to ask yourself, what is the discernible difference? What is the change of a life in Christ from those who do not know him? Because unless there is a change in your life, nothing happens. Unless I change my lifestyle, I don't lose weight. Unless you change the way you live your life, no one will ever be motivated to live for Christ. Fifth question. Do I manifest in the midst of this fervent, fevered generation a serenity of spirit which reveals that the peace of God is dwelling in my heart? The question, is, the question is simply asking, in this crazy world, do you have a peace? It's interesting that Christians are more anxious and more nervous than those who are not. But what does that tell the world? That tells the world that the God I believe in, who holds tomorrow in his hands, is not able to help me, really, because I'm so worried and I'm so anxious Where is the peace that passes all understanding? Where is the calmness that God tells us we should have when we cast all of our burdens upon Him? And yet we find so many Christians so anxious and so worried about everything. Can I remain calm in the Lord in the midst of a mixed up crazy world? You see, the joy of our lives in our Christian witness is that the way we live our lives must motivate and spur others on towards their own testimony in Christ. But there must be a radical transformation. There must be a daily change every day, every week, every month, every year. So that the world sees us and says, that's what I want. And when other believers look at us and say, that's the type of relationship I want with Jesus. And then they will be motivated to live for him. Such was the testimony of the Apostle Paul in prison. That even though he was imprisoned, his testimony not only affected those inside his prison cell, but even those around. What an effective Christian witness. Verse 15 to verse 18. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add afflictions to my chain, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Paul mentions in verse 15 and 17 and verse 15 and 17 that in this group of emboldened Christians there were actually two groups with two differing motivations. The first group preached Christ because they were jealous and envious of Paul's ministry. Perhaps they had their own selfish ambition and motivation. We don't know the exact reason outside of the fact that they wanted to cause Paul more grief while in prison. This makes no sense to me. 
I'm going to ask Paul about this when I get to heaven. But it seems so strange. What a weird motivation to preach Christ. Hey, let's make Paul angry in prison. Let's preach Christ. But this was their thinking. Maybe they said, hey, Paul's out of the way. We can build a bigger church. We can attract a better following. I don't know what their motivation is. But they said, let's add grief to Paul. Let's preach Christ. Well, the second group preached Christ because they did so out of goodwill and they did so out of love. They knew that Paul was in prison and so that they would now take up the challenge to do the work he could not do on the outside. But you know, to Paul, it didn't matter what was their motivation. Verse 18, what then? So what? Paul says, it doesn't matter to me the motivation. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Paul says, I'm excited. My heart is filled with joy. I'm rejoicing now because Christ is being preached. What an attitude. Paul notes that as long as my witness is spurring others towards preaching Christ, Then it fills my heart with joy. He mentions it two times in verse 18. And here in verses 15 to 18, we see the third aspect of our Christian witness. It is that a witness is towards a singular objective. It is towards a singular purpose. And that objective and purpose is to preach Christ in the way we live our lives. A witness has a singular purpose objective, a singular purpose, and that purpose is to preach Christ in the way we live our lives. Some of you are ashamed of verbally speaking the gospel message. Some of you feel that you're not as eloquent. Some of you get stage fright. You get scared when you mention to someone, I'm a follower of Christ. Let me tell you what, my friends. You don't have to say a word. Your life speaks for itself. There's a story told of a missionary to China who was in language school. The first day of class, the teacher entered the room. And without saying a word, she walked down every row of student. She passed by each student. Finally, still without saying a word, she walked around the room again, down each row. Then she came to the front of the class and addressed the students. She asked, students, do you notice anything special about me? Nobody could think of anything in particular. They were all silent. Until one student raised her hand. Teacher, I noticed that you had on a very lovely perfume. The class chuckled. But then the teacher said, That's exactly my point. She tells the class, you see, it will be a long time before any of you will be able to speak Chinese well enough to share the gospel with anyone in China. But even before you're able to do that, you can minister the sweet fragrance of Christ to these people by the quality of your lives. It is your lifestyle lived out amongst the Chinese people that will minister Christ to them long before you are able to say one word to them about personal faith in Jesus Christ.
so it is with us as well. We may not be eloquent speakers. We may not be able to speak the language. But when we encounter those who do not know Christ, we can minister and evangelize to them by the Christ-likeness of our daily living. If indeed it is Christ-like. The purpose of a witness is to preach Christ with your life. My friends, what are you preaching every day? What are you telling the world? Paul finds such joy in living a Christ-like life. To be a witness to others. That he saw that joy in himself, and he saw it when it was lived out in others. Do you have that same joy? Does the joy of your life come from knowing that you are speaking forth the good news to the life that you live? I know it's hard. It's hard because the world doesn't accept Christian living. But it should not matter to you what they think. I will be a fool for Christ, Paul says. Can you say that as well in your life? It is unfortunate that the reality is so many Christians do not share the good news of Christ in their life in the way they live. I know it's not easy. It's hard. But the moment we step out from our cars to go to work, for the moment we step out of our house, even in the house, we are His ambassadors. We are His representatives. And the world is watching how we live our life as a witness for Him. Is it your sole responsibility in your witness to preach Christ to the way you live? How do you treat your driver? How do you treat your helper? How do you treat your waiter? How do you treat those who are not as educated as you? How do you treat those who are older than you? How do you treat those who are younger than you? How do you treat those of a different ethnicity? How do you treat those with a handicap? How do you treat people? If you can see people as God sees people and how much He loves them, it will help you in your Christian witness. It will help you preach Christ to them in the way that you live. Because the world is watching. They may have never read the Scriptures they may have only heard the name of Jesus Christ. 
And if they know that you are his ambassador and you are his representative, they will paint a picture of Christ based on how you live. I know that is a huge weight of responsibility upon each and every one of you, but it is the way it is. What type of witness do you have? If you can find joy in a Christian witness, it will come naturally to you how you preach Christ in your life. It will be fun. It will be exciting. Two weeks ago, my wife and I had to go to the DFA to renew my passport. Any one of you who have renewed your passport knows what a tedious task it can be. Not only tedious, but a quite frustrating. I had booked my appointment at the office in the Galleria only to go there and find out because I had a foreign-sounding name. I must drive two hours in Makati traffic on EDSA to go to the Asiana office on Makapagal. And any of you know who have been to that office knows what a madhouse it is. Thousands of people there lining up to get their passports renewed or to get a passport. By the time I arrived, it was the end of the day. And you could just feel the tension after a long day in a very high-stressed environment. I was not very happy already uh, and uh, went there. And when I stepped in, I saw that there were people yelling and unhappy. Uh, those on the other side uh, looked very stressed. Uh, they were probably at their wit's end at the end of the day. And I was ready to tell them what I felt. But something came over me, the Spirit speaking to my life, and said, Steve, calm down. You're getting mad, won't make your application go any faster. Just calm down and relax. And so I walked into those offices uh, uh, with a changed attitude and a smile. If you know me, you know that there's one thing I hate, and I hate it, inefficiencies. Uh, you go to a government office, and you look at that inefficiency, and you see everyone behind the counter working as slow as they can, making a generalization. I often wonder why God would call me to the Philippines, the headquarters for inefficiency. Maybe it's to teach me patience. I don't know. Waited and waited and waited until it was my turn for my application to be processed. With a smile, I walked up, greeted them, asked them how their day was, uh, began to speak in English, I realized that I was giving the guy a nosebleed from having to reply back in English, <clears throat> asked my wife to come over and said, would you speak on my behalf? Uh, just translate for us, um, and I'll just sit back if you need anything. And so my wife talked to the man, and uh, I just sat in the back just with a smile. As I listened in upon their conversation, I could understand enough uh, as he was asking all the vital information that he needed to ask to input in the computer. When he got to the occupation part, he asked my wife, uh, can I guess your husband's occupation? My wife said, okay. 
What's your guess? He said, I think your husband is a pastor or a minister of some sort. My wife was surprised. How did you know? How did you know? He said, well, he's really nice. (laughs) I think his words were very mabayit. Of course, that made me feel real good, and I smiled even wider. I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, if you know me. I thank the Lord that the guy caught me on a good day. But it felt so good. My wife asked him, are you a believer? He said, no, I'm not. But I've processed many of these applications. And it's very interesting to see different people's occupations uh, and how they interact with us. That was enough he needed to say. My wife just kind of looked at me and said, well, there you go. As I came back home and I thought about it, I actually felt shame. I said, Lord, I can only imagine all the times I wasn't very pastorly. I wasn't very Christian in my attitudes. And I wonder what people assessed of my life. And I must have brought such shame to your name. It's hard to live with a Christian testimony. It's not easy. Because the world is watching. And I wish they weren't. I wish we could just close the door and be ourselves. But then the question begs, Who am I? Who is the real me? If I've got to close the door to be myself, then that means I'm living a double life. That Christ has not infused himself in me that I have to pretend for show for the world what a life of Christ is. What is your Christian witness? Because the world is watching. As I prayed for you this week, I pray that in each encounter of people that you meet this week and for the rest of your life, they will either say verbally or think in the back of their heads, no wonder he's so nice. No wonder she's so nice. He's a Christian. She's a follower of Christ. Can they say that about you? Children, as you witness to your parents, do they see a change in the way you live your life? Parents to children, as you model for them what is Christ's likeness, do you treat your children in a spiritual way? bosses, if you tell them you're a Christian to your employees, do you treat them as such? And employees, if you tell your bosses you are a Christ follower, does your outward witness show forth a life of Christ? Do you preach Christ every day in the way you live your life? I'm on this journey with you. You may catch me at a moment when I fail correct me, even as a pastor. 
Because I want my life so consistent with the life in Christ that I don't have to close the doors and be myself. Door closed and doors opened. I am who I am. And I am in Christ. So it was for Paul and his witness in prison. So I pray it is the case in your everyday life. May God bless each one of you as we all strive to live out a Christian witness whose fragrance of Christ will not only fill this room but fill our community so they will see that we are Christians by our love. We will proclaim boldly Christ in the way we live our lives. And so begins our journey of evangelism. Let's pray. Father, for your word, we thank you. The example of Paul as he sits forth in a prison, whose testimony is so amazing that even the hardened of guards would see him as one who was innocent. That those on the outside would be emboldened to live their lives for you. Father, I pray for each person here this morning. I pray that they will also affect the world in which they live in the same manner. That the way they live their lives is one of great authenticity, like Polycarp of old, to stand firm with conviction. Because we are your ambassadors, we are your representatives. We do not get to be off. We do not stop being a Christian. I pray it is the singular focus of everyone here this morning to preach Christ with our lives. And when we mess up, we will still persevere. No one is perfect, and yet we have the ability to live a victorious life because of the justification of Christ on the cross to declare us righteous. Thank you, Lord, for the help of the Holy Spirit in this endeavor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.